Well, thank you, Nick, and, and uh, worship team for leading us. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, grateful for Brother James' invitation, the privilege that he's allowing me to, uh, to preach today and steward uh, this pulpit, but also thankful to know that he's on mission and uh, praying for him. I understand he's got a little bit of a uh, sickness set in on him since he's been overseas, so just pray that uh, uh, he would be uh, soon well and be able to have a good and uh, a fruitful trip. But we're thankful for Brother James and for his family, the opportunity we've got to know them at least a little bit over the last uh, few months that uh, we've been in the area and a few times that we've had the opportunity to visit uh, with you here at, at Red Lane Baptist. Thank you, church, for all that you're doing, not only to share the gospel in, in the community here, but thank you for what you're doing uh, in your cooperative mission work as you put your money in the offering plate later in the worship service. A part of that money goes to the cooperative program, which is the missions offering of Southern Baptist churches where we combine our resources. And, and through that offering, uh, you're doing good work across Virginia and really across the United States. There were over 600 churches that were planted across the United States last year through your North American Mission Board. There was disaster relief and orphan care ministry. There's lots of good things uh, that are happening. Uh, and then, of course, uh, through the International Mission Board, not only the cooperative program, but coming up in the Christmas season, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, you're supporting 3,700 missionaries and their 2,880 children. Uh, many of those missionaries go as families, and they're taking the gospel to more than 120 countries of the world. And they couldn't be there if you weren't providing for their needs and making it possible and so thank you for your generous support and your giving. Uh, we've seen tremendous results just this past year. Your missionaries overseas through the IMB had the opportunity to share the gospel with over a million lost people. More than 100,000 professed faith in the Lord Jesus. There were more than 12,000 new churches that were planted overseas, all as a result of not only the work of those missionaries, but you providing for that work. So those are... Those are your missionaries, those are your church plants, uh, that's your testimony around the world as we all work together. And we praise the Lord for you and I'm thankful for the privilege of, of uh, working with you and serving you and serving alongside of you uh, as a, a fellow Southern Baptist and especially grateful uh, for this church and the investment that you make. I'm going to be reading this morning from the book Isaiah, Isaiah 56. I'm going to start with verse 8. And then uh, encourage you to keep your Bible open or keep it clicked on, whatever that looks like where you're sitting. And we're going to be looking at uh, some of the verses that lead up to this. But we're starting in Isaiah 56, verse 8. The title of my message is The Mission of God. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 8. Reads, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Just a very simple question that I want us to start with this morning. In fact, I want the question hopefully to guide our learning as we look at, at Isaiah 56 today. And the question is, why? Why are you here? It was a cold and windy morning when I walked out of the house, even walking across the church parking lot to come in the building. The, the wind just cuts right uh, to the bone. It, it, it would have maybe been nice to, 
uh, stayed huddled up under the covers a little longer this morning or, or sat in the living room with a, a, a fire going. It, it may have been that there were other things that uh, you had on your to-do list that didn't get finished yesterday on your day off of a Saturday. You, you could have carried some of that over this morning and today. There, uh, there are lots of options. We have plenty of options, plenty of things to entertain us in the world today. Uh, lots to do, but you're here. Why are you here? Why are we here? Uh, why is Red Lane here? hundred and how many? Seventy-four years? That's an interesting number. Southern Baptist Convention was formed 174 years ago this year. The International Mission Board was formed 174 years ago this year. Uh, Red Lane Baptist Church, 174 years ago. So next year's a big year, 175th anniversary. Uh, but it's interesting that Red Lane was started the same time the Southern Baptist Convention was formed. And and for 174 years, this church has been, maybe not right here, but maybe it has. I don't know the full history, but this church, the body of believers, church isn't the building anyway, right? Church is the people. It's the body of believers. Why is this church here? Why have you chosen to be a part of it? If you're a part of it, if you're just visiting, why did you choose to come? Lots of whys, but <clears throat> that basic question, why are we here, is what I want us to focus in on today. And I want to offer some responses to that question. Why are we here? Uh, I want to suggest to you that we are here, and it's important for us to be here, first because of the people's plight, because of the plight of the people. If we weren't able to step back in time to when Isaiah would have first uh, penned these words, of course what we know is that these aren't Isaiah's words, this is God's word. Uh, the Bible is uh, inspired. We say God breathed. In fact, as Baptists, uh, our statement of faith reads that, that we believe the Bible is truth without any mixture of error. It's God's word for us. And in fact, in, in these verses, in the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 56, we literally find the Lord speaking and Isaiah sort of recording. Uh, he's He's repeating what the Lord has said to him. He's, as God's prophet, he's speaking out God's word, but he records the word in writing. It's been preserved for us. If we were able to step back in time, though, to when Isaiah first spoke these words on behalf of the Lord, uh, what we would have found is a very difficult time for the people of Israel, for God's chosen people, for the elect of God. It was difficult because... Uh, well, they had walked a very broken path. Uh, they, God's own people, had rebelled from Him. They had turned against Him. Many of them were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. They had become very self-absorbed and, and self-consumed, uh, arrogant. They were treating the poor unjustly. They basically were living in sin and rebellion against God. God had sent prophets to warn them, to come back saying to them, I love you. I want better for you than this. You're, you're walking a pathway towards destruction. And yet the people ignored the Lord. And the Lord sent more prophets to, to warn them that, that it, should they not turn back, that they will experience His hand of discipline upon their lives. Uh, the book of Hebrews over in the New Testament says, uh, well, it uses the comparison of the way a father disciplines a son he loves to suggest that the Lord disciplines us that way, that, that to keep us from, from destroying ourselves, the Lord will do whatever is necessary, and sometimes that is to bring pain. 
I'm thankful as I look back in my life that I had a father who was willing to discipline me when he saw me walking towards destruction. And sometimes, frankly, it was, it was only pain that would get my attention. And that's been true in my relationship with the Lord at times. And, and again, I'm thankful for a father who loved me enough, a heavenly father. That he would not allow me to destroy my life without doing whatever was necessary to get my attention to call me back, even if that was pain. People of Israel had experienced that. When they continued to disregard the word of the Lord, uh, the Lord removed his hand of protection from them. He extended his hand of judgment. The people were overrun by their enemies. Many of them were carried off into exile. The holy city was destroyed. The people felt pain. And finally, they began to turn back to the Lord. And as they began to turn back to the Lord, the Lord offers here in Isaiah 56 a new word for them. A hopeful word. A good word. Going back to the beginning of the chapter, we'll find the Lord speaking to the Israelites, the Jews first. In the, in the first couple of verses, Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, and here's the good word. For soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So the Lord, the Lord knowing what the people needed, they needed to be saved. The Lord promises them. He, he, he delivers a good word to them as they were desperate for the good word, turning back to the Lord, longing to hear from him, the Lord says, my salvation is coming. Soon my salvation will come. And don't you know, we just, in that word, there was cause for rejoicing as the people worshiped. There was, uh, there was joy, surely. People who had felt uh, the sting of God's judgment, the consequences of their own sin, now hearing a good word from the Lord. But the Lord doesn't just speak to the Israelites and the Jews in this passage. In fact, as we get to verse 3, we'll find him speaking to two other groups of people. Follow along with me. Verse 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Well, first we find the Lord in verse 3 speaking to the foreigner, but it's not just the foreigner uh, any foreigner out there, not just a foreigner who, 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 who is from among the nations, who doesn't know the Lord. In fact, he specifies, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say. So these foreigners were believers. They weren't Jews, but they were God-fearers and God-followers. And the Lord says, not let the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. It's interesting, as the Lord spoke a good word, a word of hope, of coming salvation to the Jew, to the Israelites, uh, he, he, he knows, because he knows our hearts and he knows every thought that we have, uh, he, he knows the automatic reaction of the foreigners who weren't Jews would be to think, well, that's not for me. The Lord will separate me from his people. Why would the foreigners who followed the Lord feel that way? Well, there's a sense in which Practically speaking, they were often separated from God's people. For example, when the people came together for worship, the foreigners uh, were not permitted to go in the temple to certain places. Uh, when, when 
the Jews gathered together for a fellowship meal. They would not eat with the foreigners. The foreigners were always separated out. So they always felt distant and separate. And hearing a word for the Lord, uh, for uh, the, the Jews, the Israelites, the foreigners automatically apparently thought, well, that's not for us. We, we, don't, we don't fit in. We're, we're, we're not a part. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe you felt that way as you came in this morning, just wondering, do I fit here? Is this a place for me? Am I, am I to be a part? Can I be a part of, of this family of God? The Lord has a good word for the foreigners. But then the Lord addresses the eunuch too there. You saw that at the end of verse 3. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Now, now the eunuch typically is, is a slave. Not a eunuch by choice, but a eunuch by force. So he wouldn't be a threat to the master's family. And so imagine the plight of, of a slave, one who owns nothing, one who is owned. One who may not even be given a name, just servant or slave. No family, no prospect of having a family. What a hopeless situation. What, what, what a sad and sorrowful situation. Hard to identify with that, isn't it? I mean, it's hard, hard to identify with what it would be like to be a slave, to be enslaved, for someone to own you, for you to have no rights, own nothing, no family. Totally alone in the world. No name, slave, servant. It's, it's hard to fathom the wickedness of human slavery. And, and yet, as we continue reading our Bibles and we go over into the New Testament, I find that I am a slave. The Bible calls me a slave. Spiritually speaking, the Bible says this. is the one who sins is a what? A slave. To sin. And, and as Paul says in the book of Romans, all have sinned. And all means me. And all means you because all means all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Aren't you thankful for a Savior? Uh, aren't you thankful for the one who loved you enough to buy you out of your slavery and to buy you into freedom. Aren't you thankful for the one who was willing to allow his own life's blood to be shed as a payment for your sin and for my sin? That any who would put their trust in him, who would turn from their sin and turn to the Savior, confessing him as the Lord of, of their lives, Jesus is Lord. Any, any who would cling to him would be forgiven would be free, would be adopted, would be saved. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? And we celebrate that today. And, and in fact, that's why we're here, isn't it? We're here because we've heard and we believe the gospel and we know what the Lord has done for us. We, we've heard a good word uh, from him and so we want to speak a good word to him. We gather here to sing his praises. We gather here to worship him. But Church Red Lane Baptist is not just here as a place for us to gather to worship. And you aren't just here today to come here and to worship. This church is here because there are still out there in this county thousands upon thousands of people who are still enslaved to the same things that once enslaved us. 
They are still enslaved to their sin, to their lust, to their greed, to, to the gossiping tongue, to, uh, to their addictions. They are still enslaved to the same things that enslaved us. And that's why we're here. We're here because they're still out there. And in fact, moving beyond this county, across the state, the nation, and, and among the nations, there are literally billions of people who remain enslaved to their sin, to idolatry, to false religions. And that's why you're here. We're not just here to worship. We could do that in heaven. As good as the worship was this morning at Red Lane Baptist, I bet it was better in heaven. Don't you? I, I, and the Lord didn't save us and take us to heaven. He saved us and left us here. Why? Because they're still out there. And God has left us here to share with them that they might experience the same liberty and forgiveness and hope and freedom and adoption in Christ that we've experienced. We're here because of the people's plight. We're also here because of God's promises. The Lord makes beautiful promises in Isaiah 56. We saw verse 1, His promise to the Jew. He promises, my salvation will soon come. Picking up in verse 4, the Lord refers again to the eunuch. He says, thus says the Lord in verse 4, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. And I hear the promises to the eunuch in verse 5. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. He references the foreigners in verse 6. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. Here's the promises to the foreigners in verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. It's interesting, the Lord, uh, to, to the, he, he knows what we need. And, and to the eunuch who was, who was owned, who had not a name, the Lord says in verse 6, or, or in verse 5, he says, I'm, I'm going to give you a place in my family, when, in my house and within my walls. You're going to be honored. There's going to be a monument for you. You're going to get a new name, a name better than my own sons and daughters' names. The Lord knew what they needed. The foreigners, more beautiful promises to them. Uh, they always felt separated. Here's what the Lord says in verse 7. I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. You're welcome right in. You'll be accepted. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. I love the end of verse 7. Listen to this. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. That word peoples, of course, this would originally been written in the Hebrew language. That word peoples can also be translated as nations or foreigners. Notice what God does here. Uh, to, to, to those who felt separated, who felt they didn't have a place in the Lord's house as God's people gathered together. Here's what the Lord says. My house will be called a house of prayer for the foreigners. I'm going to rename the house after you. I'm going to rename my house after you so you always know you have a place. You belong here. You're mine. Isn't that beautiful? My house will be a house of prayer for the peoples, for the foreigners, for the nations. 
We have the privilege of looking back in time this morning to what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. We have the privilege of looking back to what God spoke to the prophet Isaiah while we sit on the other side of Calvary. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. The Lord makes beautiful promises in Isaiah 56. He's kept them every one. He's already kept them. And He's kept them all in the same way. Or let me say that more accurately. He's kept them all through the same one. The Lord promises to save. He promises salvation will soon come. What did the Lord do? He sent a Savior. The Lord promises acceptance. What did He do? He allowed His only begotten Son to be rejected, to be spat upon, to be cursed, to be crucified, so we could be accepted. The Lord promises that the one who has no name will be given a name better than His own sons and daughters, what did he do? He allowed his own son, his name to be scorned and ridiculed so a name could be passed to us. We could bear his name. Christian. The Lord promises a welcoming in. What did he do? Well, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was sacrificed outside of the gates of the city, outside of the camp. He went out so you and I could come in. Over and over again we find that the Lord has kept His promises and He's kept them all through Jesus. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? And we've gathered here today to worship the name of Jesus. To celebrate the promises that God has made and that God has kept in Jesus. And yet not far from here would we have to go to find those who know nothing of the promises that God has made them. In fact, there's a world full of people among the nations who don't even know there's a God to make them a promise. And church, that's why we're here. We're here to declare the promises of God to those who haven't heard them, those who don't know them, that He would welcome any in and adopt them as His own and allow them to have His name. Brother Nick mentioned uh, it was November the 15th that I was voted on by the International Mission Board of Trustees to become the president. So that's, I've been president a year and two days at this point. Uh, it's been a quick year, lots of travel, but it's, it's been good. But looking back just over a year as, as we were nearing the time of, of, of the vote and, and me being hired, uh, there was... Uh, a little bit of anxiety for us as a family because uh, the little girl who went back to children's church this morning, uh, Lily, uh, we had been fostering her. Uh, we had been fostering her through our children's home in Kentucky, Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children, for, uh, for a few months, thinking that she was going back to her mother. Her mother was struggling with addiction and other things and trying to get her life back in order, but eventually that that fell apart and the state gave up on her and, and terminated her rights as a mother. It just became obvious that, that she wasn't going to be able to do what she needed to do to, to care for a little girl. And, and so the social worker reached out to us and, and said that Lily's goal was no longer reunification with her 
with her mother, it was adoption. They were going to be looking for a family to adopt her unless we wanted to adopt her. And at that point, we'd been fostering her for over a year and, and we said, of course, we want to adopt. Don't look for anybody. We, you know, we, we've fallen in love with her and, and yes, we'll adopt her. And then we began a long process. Those of you who have foster parented or adopted, I mean, you know, almost every state, the system is just so broken. It takes forever and we're in this long process and, and uh, well into that, uh, I was about to be called to the IMB, and, and we'd been living in Kentucky, and that's where Lily was, was in the system, if you will, and, and so we reached out to the social worker and let her know that I had a job offer coming up out of state and just wanted to make sure if I'm plan to accept the job, feel called to that role, and, and is it okay if we go ahead and move, and we'll come back for whatever adoption proceedings the uh, the final court declaration, whatever, we'll come back for that. And she said, no. And I said, well, how do we make that okay? She said, well, of course, as you know, Lily is a ward of the state of Kentucky, but she cannot live outside of the state because of that, and the only way to make it okay is for her to be adopted. I said, well, we've been trying to adopt her, and, <laughs> and we've been waiting on you people, and... She, uh, she said, well, we're, we're working on it. I said, well, okay, work on it. And we called her back in a few days and said, what have you done? And nothing seemed to happen, so we called her back a few days after that. Well, what have you done? And we kept pestering her. She probably hated us a few weeks into this, but uh, she was real nice about it. But, but we kept calling and, and didn't just realize so much was out of her control. We, we, we reached out to her supervisor and said, you know, we've been working on this forever. What's taking so long? We, I, I need to move, and, but I'm not leaving that little girl here. Well, we're working on it. Nothing happened. And then we called the cabinet uh, for children and family services. And I said, we need your help because we're getting close to November 15th. And nothing happened. And I called the governor's office. I said, Governor, we've been trying to help you when we agreed with you uh, on pro-life legislation or other things. We've been trying to help you. We need your help. And finally, the week before I was announced, the uh, week before I was voted on to be president, I was announced as the candidate, and the night before I was announced as the candidate, we got a call from the adoption attorney who said, we've got a court date, December 6th, this will all be finalized. And we said, thank you, Lord. As we moved through that process, knowing we, we couldn't leave her, but knowing we were called and, and feeling so powerless, we were calling on everybody we could to help us and calling on heaven every day, God. You gave us this little girl. We, we, we know that, that surely you don't want us to leave uh, without her and yet feel called to this role. Lord, you've got to help us. How much more the God of heaven when he has declared that he will save, that he will adopt in his family those who are lost, will keep his promise. And church, he has left us here to be advocates for those who are lost. 
to do what we can do to help, help share with them, help, help in the adoption process as we plead to God on behalf of our lost friends and family members and even the strangers we meet, as we plead to God on behalf of the nations, as we witness to them, as we work, as we do our part to share with them God's promises. And that's why you're here. We're here because of the people's plight. We're here because of the promises that God has made. We're here because God has a purpose for us. What is that purpose? Well, I want us to end where we began. Look with me again at verse 8. There's an important word in this verse that I want to highlight for you. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather, and here's the word, yet others, others to him besides those already gathered. That word others is important. It's important to me because... I was another. The Lord who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, I will gather yet others. I wasn't an outcast of Israel. I'm not a Jew. I'm not an Israelite. And yet the Lord in His kindness gathered me in. Quite very few here this morning who, are, who have a Jewish heritage, who, who are outcasts of Israel, were others. And the Lord in His kindness sent someone to share the gospel with us so we could be gathered in. And church, there are still others. Many, many, many others. And that's why we're here. We read in this passage about a eunuch. There's another passage in the Bible, more commonly known, where a eunuch is referenced. Over in the New Testament, the book of Acts chapter 8, do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? Acts 8 actually begins with the story of Philip, a servant of the Lord, who the Lord had saved and didn't take to heaven, but left him here because he had a purpose for him. And an angel of the Lord appears to Philip one day and says, I've got something for you to do. And, and, and Philip, who wants to fulfill God's purpose for his life, says, show me what to do, show me where to go. And the angel leads him along the way and and as the story unfolds, uh, the Bible says that Philip came upon a chariot. And in that chariot, there was a eunuch from Ethiopia. Apparently one who had risen up through the ranks of servitude because the, the Bible notes that he was treasurer to the queen of Ethiopia. And the Bible also says that he was reading from something. He was reading from the scroll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, what a coincidence that in Isaiah 56, the Lord makes a promise to the eunuch. And we get to Acts chapter 8, and there's a eunuch reading from the scroll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. That's not a coincidence. God made a promise, and God keeps every promise. Philip asks him, says, do you understand what you're reading? And he was reading just three chapters back from where we're reading this morning. He was reading from Isaiah 53, a passage about a suffering servant, one who would bear the sins of God's people, one who, by whose stripes we would be healed. He was reading about Jesus, the Savior who would come, the Messiah who would die for the sins of the people. 
When Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, well, how could I unless someone explain it to me? And so Philip did, and he shared with him about Jesus. And apparently the eunuch believed what he heard because the Bible says as they came upon a hole of water, <laughs> probably not exactly like that one, but it served the same purpose. The Ethiopian eunuch said, now what would prevent me from being baptized? Now obviously the answer was nothing because the Bible says Philip got down and he baptized him. Somewhere along the way, the Ethiopian eunuch had come to understand that baptism was a mark of one who is in Christ. That baptism is how we let the world know that we've trusted in Jesus, we've been saved, we've been forgiven. As Paul says in Romans 6, buried with Christ through baptism unto death and raised to new life. And the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. I was preaching on that passage sometime back and at the time of invitation, there was a little girl who stepped out and, and came down to the front and stood in front of me. She looked up at me and said, I want to be baptized. And there was a couple that stepped out behind her and, and walked down and stood right behind her as she spoke to me. And I noticed that this little girl's skin was dark in pigmentation, not light like mine. And the couple standing behind her, their skin was light like mine. But after she spoke, it all became clear as they stepped up and said, this is our daughter. We adopted her from an orphanage in Ethiopia. And she's heard the gospel. And she's been saved. And we agree it's time for her to be baptized. And I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. You've kept another promise. Another other has been welcomed in. Church, that's why we're here. We're not just here to worship. We can do that in heaven. We're here because there are still others out there. And God wants them in here. That's why you're here. Let me invite you to stand. As we come this morning to time of commitment. If you are here today and you've come to realize that the, the freedom and the forgiveness and the adoption that Jesus has provided is exactly what you need. You, you need to be set free from your slavery to sin. You, you need to have hope. You need to be saved. The good news is Jesus did everything that needed to be done. You need only trust in Him. Turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. The Bible says as you confess Him as Lord that you, you will be saved, you will be forgiven, you'll be adopted. And if that's the commitment you're making with your life this morning, that there'll be some people here at the front to receive you as we sing, you come. Let them know. Maybe you have questions. What, what does that mean? What does it take? How can I be forgiven? They can answer those questions. You come. Maybe you came here today already saved but not a member of this church and you wondered, is there a place for me here? And you've come to realize, yes, this is exactly where God wants you. If you would come.
today to express your desire to be a part of what God is doing here to reach people out there. I'm sure the church would love to talk to you about becoming a member. Maybe you're a believer who hasn't been baptized, but like the young men earlier, you know that's what you need and you want it. Come, let the church make plans. It's time of invitation. It's not a time that I'm inviting you to do anything. It's not a time really the church is inviting you to do anything. The Lord is the one who 